before I begin the sermon, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> this Sunday is, and the next two Sundays, are what's called the season of pre-Lent, because it is before Lent. Um, but the readings and the themes of each Sunday have sort of a Lenten a connection to Lent, suffering, repentance, and so forth. The, the three Sundays are called Septuagesima, Sexagesima, and Quinquagesima. And uh, I know Eric has a Latin scholar. I'm not, but I think the Septa is 70. I mean, I know that 70 days, 60 days, and 50 days. I don't know if Jesima is day. Is that day? <laughs> so, so it's a preparatory time for Lent. And so it's called pre-Lent. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The sermon text is the gospel lesson that was read Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. Two of the many wrong impressions about life in the kingdom of God are one, that you can live in the kingdom of God without laboring. And another, that the laborer in God's kingdom can demand a reward for his service. Jesus spoke the parable in today's gospel lesson to address those false impressions. I want to take a closer look at three aspects of what Jesus taught about life in the Lord's vineyard. The call into the Lord's vineyard, the labor in the Lord's vineyard, and the rewards of the Lord's vineyard. Concerning the call, verses 1 to 7 say, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. <clears throat> Today, hiring isn't usually done just exactly the way it was done in this parable. But not long ago, in my lifetime anyway, I haven't checked this. Maybe they still do this in terms of the unions. But when I was growing up, people would go to the union hall and wait to be sent out on a job. And today, at harvest time, many of the farmers hire people on a daily basis, just at harvest time. But when Jesus spoke this parable, it was the normal practice. But it also, it illustrates, uh, the Gospel writer Matthew is using it to illustrate the call of human beings into the Lord's vineyard. This parable compares the kingdom of God on earth with, <clears throat> first, it, the vineyard is represented by the Old Testament Israel, and then the New Testament church. 
God and only God is the creator and owner of that vineyard. And since Jesus rescued mankind from sin and death through his innocent life and substitutionary suffering and death, he is the only source of spiritual life in the vineyard. Christians are the branches since through faith in Jesus they have become new creatures and now live and move and have their being in Him. And this great invisible population of the Holy Christian Church is the Lord's vineyard. The call into this vineyard is the invitation to people through the gospel by which they're told about the existence of the Lord's vineyard They're told that it's God's will that nobody perish but that all be saved. They're told of the redemption that made salvation possible. And through the gospel they're told of the way that the individual sinner can receive that salvation. It's the urgent and persistent appeal to all sinners to come into the vineyard without delay. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. This call is being heard wherever the gospel reaches the ears of people. You are hearing it right now. But no one is born into the Lord's kingdom. We're born sinners. So by birth and nature, we are aliens to the kingdom of God and have no connection whatever with the Lord's vineyard. That applies to everyone. It was your condition and mine before our conversion to faith in Christ. And if you're not yet converted, it's your condition right now. And since unbelievers are by nature dead in their trespasses and sins, their works as far as their relationship to the church of God is concerned, they're totally worthless. And this doesn't just apply to those human beings who are outwardly godless, wicked. It applies to everyone, anyone who deceives themselves into thinking that their efforts and deeds of outward respectability and righteousness are themselves acceptable to God and will win heaven for them. But however morally excellent and fruitful a person's natural life may seem to be, it has value only for this life, the life on this earth. I'm assuming everybody's hearing that. I've got to get rid of this. This is my glucose monitor and it's... uh, It's having problems. I'm not having problems. At least not yet. Thanks, Chrissy. Um, Now, where was I? The, The outward works only apply to existence in this life, but in the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of grace, and those outward works are just works of the law And Paul says, Romans 3, that by the works of the law, no one is justified. Moved by his love and sympathy for lost mankind, God sent his son into this world and made him a sacrifice for man's sin and reconciled the world to himself. 
moved by that same grace, he sends out his messengers, Christians, us, with the gospel which says, come, for all things are now ready. Whenever this gospel of salvation reaches your ears, you are hearing this call. And it offers you all of the blessings of heaven. Forgiveness of all your sins, comfort and joy on your journey through this life, which can involve some very uncomfortable, difficult things. Offers help in the battles with the crafty and powerful enemies of your soul. And it offers you a favorable verdict on the final day, judgment day, and then eternal life of peace in heaven. It's all yours by faith. But blessings and privileges in the kingdom of God come with obligations and responsibilities. And the order is important. The works don't come first. The works are fruits. The call into the vineyard is not only an offer of great blessings, but also an assignment of great tasks. In the parable, the master of the house wasn't looking for people who would just eat the grapes and drink the wine that the vineyard provided. He wanted to hire laborers. It's not abnormal for the master to tell those he sends into the vineyard that he expects a certain amount of labor from them. A farmer doesn't hire harvest hands just so they can loaf and eat and sleep. In fact, man was made for work. Even before Adam became a sinner, he was placed in the garden to tend it. That required that he accept some responsibility and apply some energy. God gives us physical and mental abilities so we can apply them to meaningful, useful work. And that applies in the kingdom of God too. When God makes us people Christians, he is hiring laborers. A person is taken into God's kingdom with all their mental and physical abilities. In addition, in conversion, we receive spiritual powers and resources. But God intends for us to use these gifts that He gives us. To be a laborer in the kingdom of God is the normal Christian life. A healthy Christian doesn't feel spiritually well unless he or she is, act, is active in some kind of kingdom work. And the person who doesn't do any kingdom work is on the way to spiritual decay. And if not dealt with, if not corrected, ultimately spiritual suicide. But to labor in God's kingdom is not some virtue by which you earn a reward, but simply a natural necessary activity in the Christian life. In his natural life, man owes it to himself, his God, and his fellow humans to be constructively busy. Labor is a moral obligation. 
not busyness for the sake of busyness. The slacker is a delinquent before God and violates his obligation toward his fellow humans. Paul told the Thessalonians, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Besides, there's always a lot of work to do in this world. In fact, the welfare of society depends upon the conscientious participation of every able-bodied human in the workforce, the world's work. But in the kingdom of God, the situation is similar, very similar. Every Christian is morally obligated to be a laborer in the vineyard. How can he look God in the face if he is not consciously busy at some kingdom work? Plus, Christians in the kingdom are dependent upon each other, need each other, and therefore owe each other service and help. Paul compares it to the interdependence of the members of the human body in 1 Corinthians. God has given his people powers and resources to accomplish these activities. We can plan, make resolutions, speak, work, walk, give, and so forth. What are we doing to live up to our obligations, and to fulfill our missions, mission as inhabitants of the Lord's vineyard. Are we, at least in part, to blame for the departure of the gospel from the global north to the global south? Dr. Douglas Rutt taught missions at both of our seminaries, and in an article demonstrating this movement of the gospel from Europe and North America, he quotes this admonition from Luther to the German people in 1524, quoting Luther. Let us remember our former misery and the darkness in which we dwelt. Germany, I am sure, has never before heard so much of God's word as it is hearing today. Certainly, certainly, We read nothing of it in history. If we let it just slip by without thanks and honor, I fear we shall suffer a still more dreadful darkness and plague. O my beloved Germans, buy while the market is at your door. Gather in the harvest while there is sunshine and fair weather. Make use of God's grace and word while it is there. For you should know that God's word and grace is like a passing shower of rain which does not return where it has once been. It has been with the Jews, but when it's gone, it's gone, and now they have nothing. Paul brought it to the Greeks, but again, when it's gone, it's gone, and now they have the Turk. Rome and the Latins also had it, but when it's gone, it's gone, and now they have the Pope. And you Germans need not think that you will have it forever, for ingratitude and contempt will not make it stay. Therefore seize it and hold it fast, whoever can, for lazy hands are bound to have a lean ear. Maybe the German people didn't respond to Luther's admonition. Germany ended up with Hitler and all that came along with that. 
And the church is just beginning to recover. If we're not faithful, we're not faithful stewards of the gospel. God will give that stewardship to someone else. There is no place for slackers in the Lord's vineyard. Are you a citizen of the kingdom? If not, then before God, you're still outside the vineyard and spiritually unemployed, no matter how busy you might be in the things of this world. Come into the vineyard without delay. Your welfare for this life, and especially for eternity, depends on it. And if through the grace of God you are a citizen of the kingdom, are you a worker or a slacker? There is still a lot of work to do, and the Lord has called Christians to do it. Take your cue from Jesus who said, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Now we come to the hard part of this parable, at least hard for human reason. But the message of this part, if you thought that was hard, I'm not done yet. But the message of this part of the parable was the primary reason that Jesus gave the parable. The previous chapter ends with a conversation between Peter, who had asked a question, and Jesus, who answered it. Matthew 19, 27 says, Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Obviously, we can't go through that whole passage. But the last verse gives you a hint that Jesus' answer wasn't exactly what Peter was looking for. Verse 30 says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Peter's question revealed a spirit of bargaining. And in God's kingdom, bargaining is out of place. The disciples were not to think that rewards could be demanded. That their service and loyalty had put their master under obligation to them. Whoever thinks he's entitled to first consideration might find himself last in the kingdom and maybe not considered at all, depending on how serious you get with it. So Jesus speaks this parable in our text to bring that point home. At the end of the day, the master of the house does pay his laborers But what a strange settlement. They just don't do it that way today. The laborer is worthy of his hire, and inside don't we actually tend to sympathize with the servant who complains that the master was unfair? Don't human standards of equity and fair dealing demand that he who has borne the burden and heat of the day be given a larger wage than is given to him who was hired just before quitting time. Yes, man in his dealings with his fellow men can demand an adequate reward for services rendered, and to withhold it from him is sin against the seventh commandment, stealing. God said through Jeremiah, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, 
who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. But the parable wasn't intended to teach us how things are done in this world, but how things, how they are done in the kingdom of God. Yes, there will be rewards in the Lord's vineyard. The parable actually teaches that. All the laborers did get paid. And there are verses where the Lord Himself promises it. Just one example, Deuteronomy 11, 13 to 15. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God, and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wheat, oh, excuse me, wine and your oil. And He will give grass in your fields for your livestock. And you shall eat and be full. There are rewards in this life, such as increased spiritual blessings, inward peace, lasting joy. Those are comforts and inner assurances that unbelievers don't have. No faithful servant of the Lord is without them. Frequently the Lord, frequently the Lord also showers material blessings on His loyal laborers. Health, a happy home life, Success, protection, deliverance, often even wealth and honors and so forth. Biblical examples would be, could be, I mean among others, Noah, Abraham, Lot, Job, David, Solomon and so forth. When you heard the name Job, maybe you thought, wait a minute, Job lost everything. And he did. But in the end, he, he received I don't know the number anymore, whether it was double or what, or just more, but he received more at the end than he lost at the beginning. And these other men, Bible, you know, Old Testament men, were wealthy, physically wealthy also. No sincere Christian and diligent laborer in the church has reason to complain that God doesn't care about his toil and sacrifices and so forth. In the end, there will be a reward of glory and abundant joy in heaven given to those who have been faithful to the end. To me, that's actually an encouraging and, and comforting thought that if you have, are bearing the heat of the day, the burden and the heat of the day, uh, what we will receive in heaven is more than we can imagine. So what is the reason for the strange payment scheme that the master in the parable used? For one thing, it's clear that the reward, the wages, aren't deserved. They're not a reward that has been earned. That may sound surprising. We have not put God under obligation to us by our labors and sacrifices in His vineyard. We're not in a position to demand anything from Him. Nor could we justly criticize Him if He chooses to withhold recognition of our services or if it seems like He's giving somebody else more than He's giving me. Actually, someone who serves God for reward isn't really serving God, serving self. 
and though he might appear to work hard, have devotion, appear to sacrifice very generously, so that he, he feels justified in expecting to be among the first, he may be surprised to find himself last. Or, in the worst case, obviously, wholly ignored or excluded. While some humble Christian modestly serves as though, in his mind, he were among the last to deserve status in the kingdom, any status in the kingdom, but he may find himself first on judgment. God's reward will be a reward of grace. It will be given because of his personal and loving initiatives, not because of any merit or worthiness in us. And it will be given to faithful servants in whatever way God pleases, not according to man's standards. The size, manner, and value are to be determined only by God. The master of the house in the text reminds the complaining workman, A, that he had agreed to that wage. He had agreed to a denarius a day. And he reminds him that actually he, the master, is being good. Obviously to the one who just was hired at quitting time almost. And he reminds him of the fact that he, the master, really owes the laborer nothing. Every Christian should bear in mind that he is but a creature of God and that it's just out of the question, out of the range of possibilities that the creator should ever owe the creature anything. Plus the Christian realizes that he's already so deeply indebted to God because of the abundance of the spiritual and temporal gifts with which he has been and daily is blessed that the most faithful service and self-denying sacrifices couldn't begin to pay for the many transgressions and daily misuses of the Lord's gifts. The Christian never stops marveling at the mercy which still daily blesses him. If these are your sentiments as a faithful worker in the Lord's vineyard, you'll only be too happy to use the opportunities that God has given you and the talents with which he has blessed you. Use them in grateful and unselfish service. And you will accept the rewards given by your merciful God with wondering humility. So this is the call into the labor within and the reward of life in the Lord's vineyard. Praise God for his gracious call. Let us serve the Lord with all that we are and have and can do. And as Paul said to the Galatians, in due time we shall reap if we faint not. Amen.